Hello and welcome to The Maidcast, the official podcast of the Museum of Art and Digital Entertainment. A series of lectures on video game history as part of The Maid's ongoing effort to preserve the history through teaching and displaying playable exhibits, rare games, and consoles. While life in the time of COVID has forced us to close our doors, the support of people like you has allowed us to continue to bring history to useful lectures and interviews, like the one you hear in a few minutes. I'm Chun. I'm Red. I'm Anthony. And I'm Miles. Today, Alex sits down with David A. Smith, computer scientist and inventor behind The Colony, one of the first 3D adventure games. They talk about the story behind his remarkable career, creating The Colony, working with James Cameron, launching Rainbow Six, and developing 3D technologies. It's quite the quite the resume he has. It, it, a lot of his work, I'm sure most people have seen to some extent, or at least his, his inspiration for his pioneering and what he did. I actually didn't know about the work that he did on uh, The Abyss with James Cameron. I love that movie. And the the logistics of of the the technology that he made for that film really oh, made a lot of sense. Was, like yeah. I was I was impressed that they actually thought of like, well, they'll get into it, but but doing the thing that they did rather than just making the whole thing. It was really awesome. Again, one of my one of my favorite movies as a kid growing up too. That would I I'm always enamored by that whole line of thought and it was a, it's a great conversation and he has done so much, uh, I mean, pioneering essentially first person adventure games. So we'll let them get into the conversation. But before we do that, we have a bit of news. Arcane is out. Is it good? Is it actually good? I think it's actually good. I was pleasantly surprised by the three episodes that I saw so far. That's good to hear. I haven't seen it yet, but. It's, it's, it's worth a watch even if you don't know anything about League of Legends. Like, it's well-made television. The animation is fantastic. The art design is great. You know, w- whatever your feelings on the game are, the story that they've made here is is worth telling, and I think it's interesting enough to watch. So, awesome. good on them for, for making something fun. Yeah. It's always going to be beneficial when you make a good story tied to an already, an already great game. I'm excited to watch it. Uh, in other news, Skyrim is out again. Uh, the anniversary edition. So this is uh, apparently the defini- most definitive Skyrim release to to date until the next uh, one. And it's gonna it, uh, it's gonna be it's celebrating the tenth anniversary of Skyrim. Uh, it's actually launching on the November eleventh, the same day that it was launched in twenty eleven. So get ready to play Skyrim again with like one to two extra missions. Uh, if you already have the Skyrim special edition from uh, twenty sixteen, uh, it is a free update for you and you don't yes so it's not going to be another extra one if you don't already have it in other news i believe chun you can kind of take the uh let you know your frustrations on this but final fantasy 14 and walker has been delayed for two weeks now well to lots of players it is a frustration because a lot of my friends have been taking a day off just for the launch day of the new patch but now we all have to change our plans but it, after all, it's just two weeks, so and we understand we have trust to the developers. That's what happened when there's a there, there's a very good trust between the developers and the, and the player communities. Is the players don't care don't care too much about when you delay the game for maybe a week or two. And the reason they're delaying it is is simply because they haven't finished the QA. They just want to make sure there's no bugs and no glitches in the game when by the time it's released because it's the is the conclusion of the whole storyline for about 10 years. So, wow. yeah, 
we can understand it and we just keep waiting and looking forward to it. And if you're interested in Final Fantasy XIV, uh, the complete edition of it, it, I think it's now, it's now 60% off. So it's, it's just, just less than 30 bucks and you can get it all the way to the Shadowbringers. And if you're interested in the game, it's a really good time to get into it. Well, I don't know if you sold me, but you might. I might, I might pick it up. Oh, we'll yeah. see. Just, it's a sixty percent. I, I, I don't we'll just every single time I talk about it, it naturally sounds like an advertisement. Just <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, it's like it. It always seems like a really fun game to check out. Yeah, it is. Uh, uh, in our last little bit of news, too, uh, Elden Ring uh, trial demos have started, and uh, there's been mixed reviews so far. But again, it's like just trial servers, and they're not really showcasing the full game. Apparently, they're like it's a very spread out world, a lot larger in scale than other from software titles, a lot more open ended. And there's you could double jump on a horse. All right. It's that that already kind of sold me for fast travel, not even fast travel, just traversing double jumping off of a horse or onto a horse. No, while you're riding your mount, you can like double jump and jump up a very tall cliff where you don't need to. That's, yeah, that sounds pretty cool. Like, it does look really nice, and we'll see. We'll see how it comes out. I'm I'm very excited for it. We'll see what it does. But again, with the climate of everything else, you can't really be too excited for any game that hasn't been released yet. Don't get your hopes up. Have a healthy skepticism. But I think it's about time we throw it over to some more, some really exciting conversation with uh, David A. Smith and Alex. And here it is, David A. Smith. And here we are with David A. Smith. David, it's an honor. Oh, pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for the invite. Uh, I have some deep, deep questions, but I first, I heard a story about you buying the first Mac out of some store somewhere in Boston and then building the colony with it. I'm curious yep. as to know which Mac that was. That was, um, it, that, that's a true story. Um, what happened was um, I heard that Apple is going to have a new computer uh, and I went into um, one of the, the nearest uh, computer store, because I used to have computer stores back then, and I said, I want the first one that comes in, the, in, in it, that you receive. I gave them um, like a thousand bucks up front, and, uh, and then I didn't even know what the name of the computer was. Um, and then the, when the Mac was finally announced, um, the, the the store gave me a call and said, "Hey, your Mac is here." I did not know that every store only got one. It was for demo purposes, <laughs> uh, but they had they were true to their word. They said we told you we'd give you the first Mac that came in, and they they certainly did. And wow. so I, um, I I had probably the first purchased Mac. I mean, obviously Boston had a lot of high tech companies that had Macintoshes. But I had the first one that was actually kind of for a, a, a mere human. Uh, and of course, uh, the rest was, uh, you know, I built uh, actually a number of applications. Not a, That Mac was the very first one, though. It was just an incredible experience for me. It changed, it changed my life. Was that, the, that was the 128K then, the original Macintosh? Yep, it sure now, was. Okay, so this, this legend has it that you wrote the colony on that. Is that I true? Ninety percent uh, of it. That's insane. That that is such a small machine and an early machine. What tools did you use? What were you using in what anything? Language? Anything I could find, actually. Um, originally, the Macintosh didn't have anything, 
uh, they expected to use leases to develop. And so what I did was um, um, basically explored what I could do. But ultimately, we finally got a, a C compiler. I think it was a, a software C uh, for for the Mac, which was, by the way, a terrible system. I, I hate to say it, but I, I was like literally doing their QA. Uh, they, 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 by, there was no internet. So all this stuff is via snail mail. And so I'd send them uh, these bug reports, and they'd get they get back to me all the all the issues, and you know ninety percent of the reports were from me. Uh, <laughs> but you know, it was, I, I remember one bug that was particularly bad because I used uh, letter C uh, as a I, I, no, I used the letters LR for left right because part of the way that the algorithm ran it was sort of doing the searching through this these quarter spaces, and uh, what the software. C did is put a C in front of all the, the variables. So LR turned into CLR, which is <laughs> a clear instruction in the 68K. <laughs> That's terrible. So it just dumped everything. Like you, every time you were doing left and right, it's like, boom, everything in that memory space is gone. That was, um, there was a lot of that. Well, it, it wasn't just their pod code that was buggy, it was mine. But so that, that that was a challenge. Uh, then there was a, a number of other apps, um, uh, a number of other C compilers that showed up. Ultimately, uh, I think C showed up, which was uh, just Mike my, my Call, KHL, uh, created that. And that was uh, really the, the platform that I was able to build. I, at some point, I, I finally got a publisher, which was uh, Mindscape, and they got me... Uh, a, uh, a Mac 2 to finish it up with. Also, they wanted the color version, so uh, I needed it anyway. But 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 ninety uh, percent of the app was done by at the point I, on that machine. I did upgrade it in two ways. One is I upgraded to a five twelve K, the, the mm. fat Mac was that what they called yeah. it. And yeah. I also got even more important. I got a twenty meg hard drive. Oh yeah. Remember that twenty meg hard drive cost me two thousand bucks. Mm-hmm. 20, 20 megs. That's a thousand dollars a meg. Can you imagine? Was it bigger? Was it bigger than the Mac, or it was like about like half the size of the Mac, right? It uh, it was actually designed so that it, the Mac sat on top of it, and it was the same form factor. So it was very it was very nice. It just basically lifted your Mac up about three inches. Oh, that was an ex. No wonder it was so expensive. It was a beautiful one as well. It was it was Apple's uh, design stuff. Yeah. Uh, but, so. So yep. the colony got you to Hollywood, right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, uh, a pirated version uh, found its way to Jim Cameron, the, the film director, and he was making the movie The Abyss at the time. And they were having a, a challenge on the set. They didn't have. They weren't. It was a massive set. If you ever see the movie, it's this. It's the underwater deep core, and. Um, so he, he asked me to work with Ron Cobb, who is, was an absolute legend, um, to uh, lay out the, that, that set so he could actually walk around it uh, with, and see what the camera would see. And they found that, like, for example, one entire part of the set was never going to show up on camera, so that saved him a couple million dollars. Uh, but, yeah, that, that was, um, that was a, fun, a very fun experience. Um, and uh, also, you know, it kind of launched the next phase, which was uh, I created a product after that called Virus Walkthrough, 
which is the first real-time 3D design tool for PCs, and actually became a standard in Hollywood for set design and directing. Uh, yeah, no, Virtus has a couple of pieces of software. I was going to ask about Virtus VR and about, uh, I believe you wrote a book on Vermal along the way? Yeah, uh, so Virtus, uh, Virtus VR, uh, one of the things we found that is a lot of people um, wanted to create 3D worlds, but they weren't per particularly sophisticated. So uh, Virtus VR took the, the engine from Virtus Walkthrough First walkthrough was sort of like MacDraw for 3D, mm -hmm. um, and and the idea there was everything was live when you created when you dropped an object in a space you instantly can walk around. I, I, I'm a very big fan of of that liveness, and then um, uh, so Virtus VR and there was a number of apps that built off off of that. Like one was uh, Virtus um, 3D Website Builder, oddly enough. Uh, it was a drag-and-drop interface that allowed anybody to create really interesting spaces really, really quickly. Um, and that actually led directly to, um, you know, when, when Mark Pesci and, and friends developed the VRML, um, uh, we, it was just for us, just another file format. So we, uh, we just exported directly to that, and it was, uh, it was pretty fun. Yeah, remember the, the, that 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 platform obviously never really took off. VRML was not not ever um, never got to the escape velocity, but it was um, it was pretty fun. It was a you know pretty pretty cool, very 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 early. Uh, the, I mean, the first Web three D infrastructure it had URLs you could link between link to another page, link to another three D world. Uh, by the way, that's uh, not that dissimilar from what I'm doing now, but it's sort of, uh, you know, a million times better today. But but it, it's uh, it was um, that 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 was that was a killer project. Uh, the thing that I find so interesting about Vermal is that it's not dead. There are still people out there tinkering with it. Yeah, um, there's importers, exporters for it. It's um, it, it it's not terrible. I mean, back, it, remember it was. It originated with, uh, I think, uh, I think it was Mike, Michael Jones' um, performer infrastructure, and they basically packaged it as a um, as a file format that could then become part of uh, the Vermal. They, they did some modifications beyond that, but it, it was a very high, at the time, a very high quality system. Uh, I wanted to ask about Redstorm and the founding of Redstorm, of course. Yeah. Um, so what happened, uh, Tom Clancy, the author, um, got a copy of my game. He saw there was a fanzine that did a review. And, of course, we got really great reviews. And um, he um, started playing it. And then he contacted my publisher and said, hey, I want to talk to this guy. And they, they asked, oh, you want to talk to Tom Clancy? I was reading one of his books at the time, uh, Clear and Present Danger. And I was like, shit. Shit, yeah. Um, and, and so uh, he gave me a call, and we started talking. Um, and he was he was just um, uh, one of the nicest guys. Also, he never asked for hints on the game. Game was very hard. Uh, yeah, I, I said it was. I no one had done a game like that. I didn't have any role models. So you know, it's an this adventure game that's vast. It was taking some people a couple months to complete. Um, uh, and a part of it was part of the sadism. I just, you know, I didn't know what, where to stop. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> so, so he, he got totally, um, 
immersed in it. And, um, and, and he called me every, every week and not to ask for hints, but to yell at me. I can't believe you did this. I can't believe you did that. <laughs> yeah, it's like, and, uh, but you know, he, he seemed to have be having fun. Actually, there, there were a couple of scenes in there. There's a couple of things in there like that. Uh, one of the children, you're, you're supposed to rescue the, these children, uh, writes a note to their mom and it's in a desk drawer. You open the desk drawer, that note's there. And he said he, he, he was almost crying when he read that note. Because you're, you're like, it's it's a real kind of experience, especially if you never did it before. So he fi- finishes the game and he's like super excited. He's like, what do you, I, I want to be part of this. What are you doing next? And I told him about um, what I was doing at Virtus and he became my first outside board member and investor. But uh, we agreed that we were going to work on a game together. Hmm. Uh, so what happened was Tom introduced me to the FBI hostage rescue team in Quantico and actually went and visited them. They took me to their training, um, one of their training events. And it it was astonishing. Uh, Basically helicopters flying over. If you remember apocalypse now, it was like, think Mm -hmm. of that except live. And, and and you're, we are an observation tower looking down on this, this battle town. And so the helicopter comes over, over one of the buildings, Uh, these black ninjas rappel down, and then they start blowing shit up. And it, it was like, I, I've never seen anything like this. This is beyond any movie you've ever seen. Uh, so coming back, um, we called, called Tom and said, uh, we just saw the most amazing thing. We have to turn this into a game. And he said, well, first of all, I want, if you, if you do the game, I'm going to do the book. Hmm. And second, I want, I don't want FBI HRT. I want to do an international thing. So, uh, Rainbow Six was born. So Rainbow Six actually started out as a game. And uh, uh, just a small note, I was actually a beta tester for the Macintosh port of that game. Oh, so, <laughs> but, I mean, what an influential game. It was, uh, you know, at a time when people were running down corridors and blowing up cacodemons on uh, Doom yeah. without a second thought for how they actually go through the door. It's just, go! Rainbow Six was such a thinking person's departure. Uh, yeah. was that because of the, uh, the history of the colony or was that a specific choice that you were making? Um, actually that was, uh, Brian Upton. Brian is, was the designer of that. Uh, he started out as sort of, uh, head of engineering for, for Red Storm Entertainment. We started the game company together. Uh, but he realized pretty quickly that his passion is game design. And, um, and, and and basically, we we had done a previous game called SSN with Tom uh, that we actually brought in a sub captain uh, from the Royal Navy uh, to help design that. And so it was very very high quality realism in that uh, sort of getting into the brain of the captain. In this case, we were working directly with HRT uh, as advisors, and uh, we created a, a game that was based upon the way they work. Uh, Brian uh, gets all the credit for how that game turned out, which was fantastic. Uh, Brian's, by the way, working with me now at, at Croquet. So he's um, he's still just one of the most brilliant uh, designers I, I've ever had a pleasure to work with. And uh, it's pretty when you see what he's doing now, it'll blow your mind. Yeah, I actually wanted to sort of segue into talking about Croquet uh, with the first, like, 
you straddled the line between game development and sort of enter quote unquote enterprise software early now certainly enterprise sort of grade software right yeah what do you see as some of the just on a, on a personal level what are some of the differences between the software development practices of those two industries historically and are they being fixed um well enterprise doesn't have a lot of 3d in it and the uh, requirements in the past have been pretty low uh, games uh, are have been traditionally the, where the cutting edge is, and so uh, that's one of the reasons I, I probably gravitated towards that. I should also mention, by the way, I, I got the opportunity to work with Alan Kay starting around 1990 when he saw early versions of, of Verse Walkthrough, mm. and he and I did the first uh, version of Croquet together uh, starting in around 2000. We put a team together. Um, he and this must have liked like, that. He must have really enjoyed that feedback loop, that immediate feedback loop, right? Well, that 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 was, you know, we actually built that version of Croquet in Smalltalk, and that feedback loop proved to be essential. Uh, you know, you know, Smalltalk's a system written in itself. Mm-hmm. Every part of the system is malleable, so we actually had to kind of modify the Smalltalk language to do some of what we want to do, which is collaborative, interactive 3D. So, if you look at some of the videos um, uh, on, on YouTube. Um, that that I made of that, uh, you'll see it's very game-like, but it's very powerful. It's an environment that you're not you're not just walking around it. You can actually create, construct, and modify the world as part of of that shared experience. Everything was multi-user. Everything's collaborative, um, and so the croquet. There was a kind of a protocol that we developed. Uh, Alan brought in. David Reed. David was the uh, architect of the UDP protocol, if you're familiar with that. He was also one of the co-architects of TCP IP. So we saw collaboration as the missing protocol of the internet. Uh, and so we designed, how, how, how do we do that? David's thesis was on replicated computation. So we knew that was the kernel, but doing the rest of it was the challenge. So Andreas Robb and I cracked that code and so we actually had this, what we really call shared bit identical shared simulations. So once you can do that, then magic happens because oh, you know, bandwidth goes to zero, but the complexity and power of the local system is infinite. Um, and so that, that was uh, Croquet um, uh, at that time written small talk. Later on, I did another version. I was a senior fellow at Lockheed Martin and I built a version for the defense department. But then when I left that, Alan said, hey, we got to do the real thing, which is where Croquet Corporation came from. I inherited Alan's lab. They were part of Y Combinator Research. They were in a peer group to the OpenAI group. And um, we built uh, probably the uh, – There's not, nothing touches it. You know, it, it's a – it's a, we call it beyond the edge because what's going on is we have these very light re- reflectors that are like on you know Google Cloud, you know, Cloudflare, that sort of thing, uh, but they have absolutely no application state. Uh, a user joins, they they connect to that, but then they get a snapshot of, of that perfect that 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 replicated computation onto their system in a, as sort of a virtual machine. You play back all the messages you missed, and now you're perfectly synced with everybody. That includes simulations like uh, physics. Uh, and you know, for for the first time, you can actually use physics as part of gameplay, for example. So it, it, it's, um, you know, it, as I said, it's sort of the missing protocol of the internet. Going back to Doug Engelbart's work when he did that demo in 1968. I love uh, Doug Engelbart. Yep. The, the problem was that when Alan invented the personal computer, 
uh, where, where Doug had, everybody's on the same time shared machine, so you could do that, that shared state. On personal computers, they had Ethernet, but they didn't know how to do that synchronization. And so basically, Alan and I were said, let's fix that. Let's make it, make it so personal computers can step up to the kinds of things that Doug was demonstrating. And that's what we did. That's just incredible. I mean, talk about a difficult challenge in the computing uh, science sphere to, to be able to build, first off, a dynamic platform where, you know, there's no state. But second, to have every one of those app- computationally things being distributed in a deterministic fashion, right? Like they're always yeah. going to run the same way. That that must have, how many PhDs have been generated by your employees along the way here? <laughs> well, they, they had, a, a lot of them had PhDs before that. Yeah, so, but yeah, most of the team uh, right now has PhDs. They're language and operating system designers. Uh, all of them, except uh, Brian Upton actually worked with Alan um, in, in his lab developing uh, a number of other projects. Uh, and of course, Brian um, wound up uh, one of the chief uh, design, game designers at Sony PlayStation for many years. Uh, but when he saw what we were doing, um, he signed up because he said he's got, he had an idea for a game that uh, couldn't be done. So I, I think that I, we've gotten just a tad too into the weeds. And before we end here, I wanted to give you a chance to explain what croquet is in English. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of computer That's, science. <laughs> yeah. So croquet is, um, uh, and as I, I like to say, the missing protocol of the internet. But basically what it does, when, when you're doing multi-user applications, typically you have to, sometimes you have to set up your own servers and that sort of stuff. What we've done is we, we create these things called reflectors that have absolutely no application state. And they're all, they're worldwide. Um, and the goal is to have a 15 millisecond latency no matter where you are in the world. But what happens is um, the the way croquet works is all of us have a we're running kind of this virtual machine on our systems that are running bit identical. So when you interact with the local view, that message instead of going directly to the local um, that virtual machine, it, it redirects via the reflector. Reflector puts a timestamp, redistributes it to all these virtual machines, and basically they update uh, accordingly. It could be something like a, a live physics simulation running in there. Now, what's nice about that, I like the other thing I like to say is we make the hard part of making multi-user the easy part. Um, I, I did this multi-user uh, metaverse application that I'm going to launch shortly, and it's 300 lines of code, uh, and it does everything. You know, it's, it's multi-user. I see you. You see me. You'll be able to take objects, drag and drop them, and spin them around, and and, and there's virtually no code. From the developer's perspective, uh, we take care of, like a new user joins, we, we take care of all of that, the synchronization, make sure he's up to speed. When he, when he joins, uh, you, there's an event that, and you can basically say, okay, I'm going to put you here, put you there, whatever. But the, the, the complexity of multi-user just collapses into almost nothing. The way to use croquet is you get, get your multi-user part up and running in the first you know 20 minutes, and then... It's a published subscribe between, and you just add new objects, and it just works. So it, it changes the the paradigm completely, and completely the kind of yeah, uh, it gets rid of the hard parts of this. And it shouldn't be hard, really. Gotcha. I mean, what we gotcha. want is people to you know let their imaginations go and not be stuck in the weeds of trying to get you know deal with race conditions or the other challenges that multi-user. That all goes away. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean. 
it sounds like it would be a perfect for like a you know a ten thousand user MMO kind of a in one room situation. Oh yeah, uh, I mean ten thousand is a lot for any system. Uh, and just looking at uh, at the the physics, when you have ten thousand messages coming up, they have to go back down. Uh, so it's ten thousand squares. You're not going to do it quite that way. But on the other hand, you can do you know a hundred people no problem, which is kind of the one of the things. But the other side is you can actually have uh, a million people published, uh, you know, subscribing to that event stream and watching what's going on. Mm. So as long as the events aren't going up from them and down, you can have any number of people. In fact, one of the projects we're doing is uh, imagine um, a stadium full of people and all of them getting that live update of, uh, you know, the replicated state where, you, you know, you can see maybe, maybe like uh, you're watching a, 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 um, uh, a digital game of some sort, or you're, you're watching somebody sign a, a, a baseball card in, in real time. And it's just like, you know, they're up on the mound and they're just signing it. That actually works. We actually, okay, we did a, 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 the first prototype of that. And that's kind of wild. It's simple, but what's really nice is it scales. It, gotcha. And I think it's a real key part of this is, you know, when we, when we build systems, we're, we're looking at Super, super low latency. To, to me, uh, when I think about augmented reality, for example, it's a conversation. You and I are talking, just like we're talking now. Uh, but if we're face-to-face, for example, I'm going to say, hey, here's this virtual object. I'm going to open it up, and then I'm going to share it with you. Uh, and right now, we can do that via QR codes, which is kind of wild. But you know, very shortly, I'll be able to say, here, and hand an, uh, this live object to you. Now we both have it. Both of us can interact with it as if it's a live physical object, which is what's going to happen. You know, the, Absolutely. When you think about this metaverse, um, it, it, it's, it's really a communication platform that allows us to express ideas. Computer is part of that conversation. Uh, and and share that interaction uh, as easily as we talk about the weather, uh, and that's our that's our our goal is to provide the the infrastructure for uh, for that engagement, um, and and that's what's so exciting to me is you know we're, you're defined more by how you communicate than anything, and we're talking about taking the nature of communication and turning it into a very broadband interaction. And, and, and which is really means if you're defined by commu- how you communicate and all of a sudden the scope of how you communicate is expanded, then you are redefining in a way what it means to be human. That's amazing. I wish we had more time, David, but uh, it's a, actually, I, I don't think we can go much further than that, hearkening all the way back to David, uh, to Douglas Engelbart there with <laughs> augmented humanity. Thank you for being here, David. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much. I really appreciate this. All right. Thank you very much for joining us, uh, David. That was a fantastic... I don't know. It, your career just kind of blows me away still just hearing about everything else that you've done and everything that you've worked on and been a part of. So thank you again for joining us. But with everybody else now, what has everybody else been playing? Let's get a little bit of into some new exciting games. New games? like uh... Or anything that you've been playing new? Uh, the, I've been watching playthroughs of like Teardown, uh, that new like Break Apart, uh, fully destructible world game. It's kind of like a l- Minecraft-ish with small like pixelated blocks, but it's very much more large, l- much larger in scale and like detail and destructibility. It looks really, really cool. 
we'll see about that in the future. And I can maybe talk about that after playing it a little more. Nice. Um, I've been playing Borderlands 2 on the PlayStation Vita. I just picked that up. PlayStation Ooh. Vita? Yeah. <laughs> how, how is it on the Vita? Does it run really well? It runs pretty well. There's some frame rate issues here and there, but nothing yeah, like, like too... more than 10 years ago, is it? How many years is Vita's? 10 years um, sounds about right. Yeah. About... Yeah. Oh god. But yeah. Um. It runs pretty good. Yeah. It plays like Borderlands. Um. Probably the most annoying thing, and this is mainly just a PS Vita issue, is uh the uh, back control panel, mm -hmm. which is uh, touch sensitive. So those are sort of substitutes for um uh, clicking down on the joystick. So like for example, if um like a if run was assigned to you know like R three or L three, that by default would be set to the back. Uh, panel touch and you can accidentally hit it while holding the device so mm. while you're trying to sprint away you accidentally like I don't know melee and it's like oh I didn't oh, I didn't meant to do that and next you know you're dead so that's just, that's just one gripe I have with sort of the PS Vita but other than that yeah it plays great um, fantastic mobile borderlands that does sound pretty exciting there's a lot more games that I've been like more interested to get on the switch because I've been playing a lot, a lot of, a lot of it handheld more than anything. I, I appreciate handheld consoles a lot more. I, I miss them. It's nice to bring them around and travel. All right. Has anybody been playing anything else? Uh, I yeah. recently started playing uh, through old levels of Human Fall Flat with my friends. That's a. That's always a fun time. That's a. And how much? How much? How much time is spent in, enjoying and laughing and actually having a good time? Yeah, we're mostly focused on uh, sabotaging each other. Yeah, that's the main and, part of the game. Yeah. Yeah, like the just, puzzles aren't rocket science. It's not a super difficult game. It's just like the controls make it weird to play. Goofy and, fun. and floppy. Yeah, and so it's just, you know, it's just something to do while we're hanging out. We're not taking it too seriously, which is, I think, its strongest suit. Yes. Like uh, anyone who takes, like, I'm a pro human fall flat, human fall flat player. Um, I which I don't think anyone would dare call themselves, but there's there's games that are meant to just have fun and play. You don't need to take them extremely seriously. Mm -hmm. Well, that's very cool. I think it's uh, just about time we wrap up this episode for today. We want to thank you for listening to the Museum of Art and Digital Entertainment's official podcast. If you have any thoughts, questions, corrections, or general museum ideas, please shoot us an email at info at We'd like to send out a big thank you to everyone who donated recently and to our Patreon supporters who keep the May afloat. Patreon donors get to listen to this podcast one week before it's released on major streaming services, and we'll continue that with future episodes every week. This week's episode was brought to you in part by Patreon donors Don Cheadle and J.A. Manger. Thank you so much for your support. The Thanksgiving is getting close, so we'll be taking a break for next week. Don't worry about that. We'll be back really soon. Till then, I'm Chen. I'm Red. I'm Miles. And I'm Anthony. Thanks. 